staring at you. Okay, <laughs> how many should we take? Should we take all, all of them? Every single one of them. <laughs> Just put them all throughout her yeah. room. Put it in like her pocket. She's gonna be finding these for months. I know. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to A Jew and a Gentile. I'm Lauren Burns. And I'm Hanin Razouk. Guess who's the Jew? An ancient business, a modern piece of glasswork. Down on the corner that you walk each day in passing. The elderly says... Welcome to episode four. It's been quite a week, hasn't it? It sure has. Let's start with our Narishkeet. It is all about kombucha. So Hanin has turned me into a big kombucha fan. Yes, I have. Our house just calls it booch now. <laughs> Before Hanin, I thought kombucha was just like really weak soda or something. Not my favorite. But then she introduced me to Trader Joe's fall flavor and I was pretty sold. You were obsessed. I think you had like three or four that week. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Two a day. Lauren, <laughs> myself and our house literally go through about 10 bottles of kombucha a week. And because Lauren is such a weirdo, she wants us to save every single bottle. I love saving the bottles. They look super cool. And my long-term project is to turn them into a complete glassware set. I yes, mean. a very long-term project that has not <laughs> begun yet so Lauren's gotten all of us to store our kombucha bottles above the fridge in the meantime which I thought was a fine place to store them until our other housemate Rebecca storms in the kitchen one day and jokingly yells how the bottles make our house look like a trailer park so she leaves the room and Lauren and I look at each other because we know exactly what we needed to do. Yeah. So a couple days ago, we brought every single kombucha bottle, probably about, what, 35 now, into Rebecca's room. It was a lot. Yeah. We stuffed them in her drawers, put them under her pillows, shoved them in some secret places like... Okay. She might be listening. You don't want to tell her. Yeah. True. Okay. Rebecca, if you're listening, you might be finding kombucha bottles till kingdom come or at least until you move to Germany. Wink, wink. All right. This week's cultural artifact is Halloween. Shockingly. The Halloween tradition originated with the ancient Celtic festival, Samhain, a pagan holiday. Every year, people would light bonfires and wear costumes to ward off ghosts. Celts believe that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead became blurred. On the night of October 31st, every year they celebrated Samhain, the night they believed that the ghosts of the dead would return to Earth. In the 8th century, Pope Gregory III designated November 1st as a time to honor all saints. He called it All Saints Day. All Saints Day celebration was also called All Hallows. And the night before it, the traditional night of Samhain in the Celtic religion became known as All Hallows Eve and eventually Halloween. Yeah. So by the 9th century, the influence of Christianity had spread into Celtic lands. And in about 1000 AD, the church made November 2nd, so the day after All Saints Day, All Souls Day, um, in a way to honor the dead. And it's widely believed today that the church was actually attempting to replace the Celtic Festival of the Dead with a related church-sanctioned holiday, so not a pagan celebration. All Souls Day on November 2nd was celebrated similarly to Samhain, oddly enough, with big bonfires, parades, and dressing up in costumes as saints and angels and devils. 
In America, as the beliefs and customs of different European ethnic groups and the American Indians meshed, a distinctly American version of Halloween began to emerge. The first celebrations included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate the harvest. Borrowing from European traditions, Americans began to dress up in costumes and go house to house asking for food or money, a practice that eventually became today's trick-or-treat tradition. Additionally, people going door-to-door wouldn't just ring the doorbell, say trick-or-treat, and hold out their hand for a rhesus like they do today. They would have to perform for their neighbors to get any kind of food in the first place. They'd sing, dance, tell jokes, recite poetry, whatever, in exchange for food, wine, and money. In the late 1800s, there was a move in America to mold Halloween into a holiday more about community and neighborly get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and witchcraft. At the turn of the century, Halloween parties for both children and adults became the most common way to celebrate the day. And today, Americans spend about $3.8 billion a year on Halloween candy, which is pretty crazy. That is insane. That's been really, this was really cool to be able to just kind of find out how Halloween has really evolved over time. Yeah, honestly. The second question we always ask on this podcast is, how does our cultural artifact better show us the grace of God? But before we get there, I think we need to do a little more unpacking, starting with our own personal experiences. So Lauren, what has your experience with Halloween been? I love Halloween. It's like, honestly, it's one of my favorite holidays every year. It was a really big event at the Burns house every year. My dad loves putting together costumes. And my mom always jokes that he missed his calling as a costume designer, which is just kind of a family-wide joke that we have now. Um, throughout the years, I've dressed up as a rat. Where's Waldo from the hood? James Madison, a frat boy. Hermione Granger about seven times. And last night I went as Amy Coney Barrett. So I grew up doing a lot of acting and plays and musicals. And my dad did improv comedy when we were growing up. So it kind of felt like imitating characters and performing was kind of just in my blood. I loved Halloween mainly for the opportunity to play dress up, which I like a lot more than the whole trick or treating business because that always felt awkward to me. So each year, even to this day, I spend way too much time in advance, like months in advance, thinking of what I'll go as for Halloween. The one day a year where it's culturally appropriate to role play, something I would do all the time, if acceptable. What about you, Hanine? As a kid, Halloween was just really fun for me. It's sort of like playing dress up with literally everyone. And it's super exciting because you think that you're experiencing life like the character you're dressed up as. And that's just really fun. But as I got older, I think I began to pick up on some not so great tendencies that come with Halloween. For example, on a walk recently, a neighbor had a recording that sounded like moans from hell on their lawn to match the lifeless corpse draped on the lawn. Those are real sounds. And it felt like a recording from hell. And I think it just consolidated in my mind why, like, why would we ever have a day where much of the dressing up is encouraged to be of things that are evil and demonic and corrupted, but also things that are true yet trivialized. As humans, we are most alive when we embody life, when the aesthetic around us even embodies life. Halloween is kind of the exact opposite of that. There is definitely a dichotomy though, and not just one way to do Halloween for sure, but I personally have a really hard time with the celebration of death, as if it were in a very twisted way, truly something to celebrate. Mm. There are totally fun and innocent ways to dress up as something you love or something you want to make people laugh about. But it 
really it's just hard to watch culture encourage us to embody and celebrate death yeah so a little bit different than my take of Halloween which is interesting because I think I come at it from more of an innocent like we're playing dress up and we're all doing role play and acting and I think you have a little bit more nuanced idea of the potential dangers lurking in our celebration of this tradition every year and I think both are true yeah totally so as we've talked about Halloween Hanin and myself this week we've realized that the older we get the more problematic and less innocent Halloween tends to become so we've categorized our observations through two main questions how is Halloween dangerous and reversely how is Halloween constructive we're starting with the second question How is Halloween dangerous? Well, to start, first, Halloween's dangerous when we don't take potentially problematic things seriously. Or to put it another way, when we don't take evil seriously. A pretty concrete example of this is a Disney animation film called The Corpse Bride. It's about characters who are interacting in a post-death state, essentially. But the movie tends to just simplify evil, kind of making it out to be not that bad or making it accessible and relatable it feels like there is a trivialization of evil through this film that makes it somehow normal or just fun it's a love story from two corpses but I mean if you really think about that like that's just not funny at all yeah that's interesting another example that comes to mind are sexy devil costumes (laughs) yeah I'm just gonna say it um sexy devil costumes or any other costume that has traces of evil so like off the top of my head I'm thinking vampires ghosts etc when we take truly scary beings like such and beautify them in a way even sexualize them our understanding of their evil nature is twisted We make something evil, something alluring, beautiful, and attractive. And honestly, that's just kind of confusing in a way. Yeah, that draws my mind to a book that I just read recently that's called Brothers Karamazov by Dostoyevsky. Okay. And it just came to mind because you were talking about this concept of making evil into something that it's not. Halloween has this power and it distorts evil from what it truly is. In Dostoevsky's book, The Brothers Karamazov, there's a scene where one of the brothers named Ivan is sharing with his brother Alyosha his complaint against God and why he has decided not to, in quotes, accept God's world. Ivan explains himself through a poem he calls The Grand Inquisitor. In this poem, there is a follower of the devil who had take Jesus captive and is questioning Jesus on his reason for visiting earth. In their interaction, the captor explains to Jesus that God had acted as though he did not love man through giving man something that was beyond man's strength, that being his own free will. The captor's chief complaint is that this has left man to suffer, especially innocent children. The captor's solution to this is that in following Satan rather than God, man will lose his freedom but will not be restrained from his appetites and will experience happiness while on earth. He promises that in man's submission, Satan's kingdom on earth will be distributed through his hands in government and through giving man what he needs Mm. equally through socialistic measures. He says that man's cry is actually better that you enslave us, but feed us. Dang. (laughs) This poem's called The Grand Inquisitor. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. But in experiencing this poem, one can begin to wonder... Does Satan understand human freedom and desire better than God? 
like is evil not actually all that it's made out to be is it actually kind of good or satisfying or just different the truth is no it doesn't freedom does not come from sin in galatians 5 paul urges the church to not use the freedom christ gave them as an excuse to indulge in evil desires but instead to use christ's freedom to love one another Yeah. Additionally, freedom does not come from submission to a force, which leads you to believe that your chief desire should be for perfect happiness in the present life, just like the captor believes in this poem. But do you see where this all started and where it could have led? When we make evil into something beautiful or something different than it actually is, people can be seriously misled and fall and even become enslaved to evil. Halloween is potentially problematic because it can tend to make light of evil things like death and sin and can even make them seem beautiful or simply just different than they actually are. Yeah. One of my mom's best friends is a psychologist and every Halloween she asks us to pray for some of her patients. One patient in particular who was heavily involved in a satanic cult for a few years before she escaped. Um, Even though she hasn't been in this cult for years, every Halloween night she's bombarded with calls from the cult leaders and even instances where she's been kidnapped and dragged back to a ritual satanic event. I share this because there is real evil that goes on on Halloween nights and my family grew up praying on Halloween that this woman would be safe. So you can dress up as a cute sexy devil But in all honesty, there is a real devil who does real work every October 31st. And Halloween is potentially problematic because we can be tempted to trivialize real evil. Hmm. Yeah. Second, Halloween is potentially dangerous in that it encourages negative aspects of childlikeness. Parts that we just shouldn't be emulating. Yeah. We realize that when tapping into childlikeness, like we do for Halloween, we must be very intentional. We need to ask ourselves childlikeness for the sake of what like what am I being childlike for if it's not for the sake of something good we end up with the worst kind of childlikeness there are aspects of childlikeness that aren't fruitful to foster such as conceit or cruelty deceit selfishness egocentricity During Halloween, someone can lean into the childlike tendency to be careless in their actions and to use Halloween as an excuse to purge angst or bad behavior. Yeah. So, for example, during our dialogue this week, our friend Colin shared that one Halloween night when he was living in Hong Kong with his family, some kids came by his family's door to trick or treat, but his family had already gone to sleep. So instead of just moving on to the next door, these kids peed on their front porch. Kind of funny, but this type of behavior is masked by the nature of being a different person on Halloween night. You're masked in anonymity with a greater desire to wreak a little havoc, which in some senses might seem a little bit trivial, but I think it really does stem from this sort of childlike nature that's kind of negative in some aspects. Forensic psychologist Barbara Kerwin says Halloween is a celebration of the dark side, a time when we expect and almost accept petty crimes and mischievous acting out. Mostly, it acts as a pressure valve that allows repressed people to release some of their pent up anger and hostility. So like we said, it's in some ways, it's kind of like the purge. Hmm. 
Additionally, criminologist James Allen Fox says the evening violent crime count on October 31st is about 50% higher than on any other day during the year. That's a lot higher. So I think we really are tapping into some pretty true things and saying that childlikeness can be really negative in its encouragement of people's actions. Totally. And on average, we've realized Halloween activities for adults are typically encouraged by culture to be more about sin than they are about childlike delight. Yeah, there's a pretty big contrast between your baby nephew's bumblebee costume and your coworker dressing up as a sexy nurse. A little bit. (laughs) When your little nephew is dressing up as a bumblebee, he's expressing his own unconfirmed reality. In his mind, when he dresses up like one, he gets to experience life as a bee. Which is so fun when you're younger. Yeah, it's so cute. And there's a certain innocence in his ignorance. Your little nephew is expressing an unconfirmed reality. It's like when children are afraid of their dark bedroom at night. There are holes in their understanding of reality that makes them uncertain and leaves room for their imagination. In the same way, your little nephew hasn't come to a finalized conclusion of his own personhood. When he dresses up like a bumblebee, he's experimenting with his own unconfirmed reality of who he even is. Yeah. On the other hand, when adults approach Halloween with the same sense of ignorance toward reality, it just feels off. That's because it's not innocence they're expressing, but rather self-deception. Here's an example. During our Halloween party last night, one of our friends, Steven, yes, the same guy that helped us with the mirror, (laughs) shared a story of how his 30-year-old male high school psych teacher dressed up as a Hello Kitty for Halloween, complete with pigtails, a high-pitched voice, (laughs) and a Hello Kitty backpack. And as we were listening to this story, we asked Steven if it was funny. And he said he didn't think so. He thought it was kind of bizarre. And he even made the comment that his high school teacher would not be someone he'd seek real life advice from, which honestly I thought was really profound. Mm. As we process this, we realize that there's a certain attitude with some adults when dressing up for Halloween that feels a little self-deceiving, almost like they're living in their own reality for the sake of their own desires, completely separate from everyone around them. Yeah. Just as a disclaimer, there are a lot of adults who dress up for Halloween without the intention of just making a statement, but dressing up in an innocent and fun way for the betterment of their community. We'll unpack that a little bit more with our next question. So we've analyzed why Halloween is potentially dangerous. Our second question is, how might Halloween, done well, actually be really constructive? Yeah. So first, Halloween is constructive because trick-or-treating oddly brings together fractured American culture. Yeah. Oddly enough. Totally. When you're a child, you're told not to do a few things. Take candy from strangers, walk around at night, or go up to random people's houses. What do we do on Halloween? Literally all of those things. (laughs) Halloween is a little taste of heaven in an odd way. When done right, it's a chance for neighbors to come together and bring innocent fun to the younger population. Second, Halloween is constructive when we dress up in childlikeness for the sake of innocence rather than for indulgence in evil or self-deception. Yeah, so it's good because we're practicing childlikeness in a positive way versus the negative aspects of childlikeness that we talked about in the last section. Mm -hmm. Through childlikeness, we see a more constructive side of ourselves. C.S. Lewis argues that we are all adults with little children inside of us. 
We need to learn what aspects of childlikeness to mature and foster, such as the ability to sacrifice yourself, to wonder at life's mysteries, and to yearn for a world somehow cleaner, somehow more compelling than our own. These are all really fruitful aspects of childlikeness that we should foster. However, Jesus calls us to be childlike in our approach to knowing God as our Father. We're not called to be childish and unwise in our thinking. In 1 Corinthians 14, Paul says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. There's an element of childlikeness we need in being humble before God. But there's an element of maturity we need in knowing how to discipline our hearts and minds by the Spirit for His kingdom. When we do Halloween right, we have the opportunity to engage in the positive aspects of childlikeness while still maintaining our maturity. Yeah. So in contrast to Stephen's psych teacher's Hello Kitty costume, my dad dressed up for Halloween this year. And as I've mentioned, my dad loves Halloween. Um, He loves dressing up and making his kids laugh. So this year, my siblings and I were all out of town. And he sent a picture in our family group chat of him dressed up like Jack Sparrow. Um, My dad was dressing up in an innocent spirit of childlikeness with the intention to make his community laugh, to bring a light sense of joy to the silly fact that my dad isn't Jack Sparrow in real life. He's a dad. He's a public speaker. He dressed up for the betterment of his community rather than because there's part of him that actually believes secretly deep down he's Jack Sparrow. There's a beauty in Halloween of adults helping kids figure out who they are and who they're not. In its best form, Halloween is an innocent exploration of personhood. That, when done well, adults can come alongside their kids and help them process the difference between who they are and what they're interested in. In playing dress up, little kids can watch the reality become more confirmed because they get to test out different characters. We learn by impersonation. When you're an aspiring writer, what are you supposed to do? Read a lot. You get a taste of good authors writing and can better mimic them in your own work starting off. In a way, it's good. If you're an aspiring human, in other words, a young child, to mimic a lot of humans. Growing up, I did a lot of acting. When I tried on another character, I had to interact with a different part of myself. I learned that I have more layers than just student Lauren or daughter Lauren or friend Lauren, etc. My costume last night was actually Alyosha from Dostoevsky's <laughs> Brothers Karamazov. I went as Alyosha because, first of all, dressing as a 19th century Russian monk is just plain funny. And also I dress as Alyosha because he is a character I really respect. And I think someone who embodies truth and grace in a really beautiful way. Totally. So... Now that we've done some unpacking, we can really answer our greater question, and that is, how is Halloween a vessel of God's grace? So to begin, first of all, Halloween teaches us how to receive and how to give. If you're practicing Halloween as a child, you are being taught how to receive. You're receiving candy from strangers and from your parents. You're receiving input from different costume options that you're trying on. And as as an adult, you're learning how to give. If you're dressing up, hopefully you're dressing up with the intention to give back to your kids, to help them recreate an experience where maybe your little daughter is a princess and you're the older prince as her dad. Um, You also give candy. So it's a really interesting form is the older you get when you practice Halloween, you transition from a stage of receiving to a stage of giving. And that's a grace from God. 
Yeah. The second reason that Halloween is a grace from God is it actually does teach us to take evil more seriously. Honestly, personally, when I was on that walk and I heard those recordings from hell, it just really sunk into me in a, I think a more profound way, how there are sounds like that that do come from hell and how that actually is such a true thing and Hmm. how I even do trivialize evil in my own life and trivialize sin in my own life. So I think just Halloween teaches us that evil is real. The third question we like to ask on this podcast is how does our cultural artifact elicit a practical response? So as we've discussed childlikeness, we just encourage you to do some reflection. What are parts of you that are childlike in a good way? And what are parts of you that are childlike in an immature way? Think about that this week. Second, ask yourself, what's bigger? My understanding of reality or my view of God? We've discussed how children have an unconfirmed reality, which is why they get scared of the dark and want to try on different characters. As adults, we can think that our reality is pretty confirmed, and it is in part compared to a child's, but at the same time, while God has revealed himself to us through Jesus and through scripture, we do need to leave room for acknowledging that he is mysterious, and we cannot perfectly know him. His ways are not our ways, nor are his thoughts. He does bigger things than we really can ask or even imagine. Yeah. So practically speaking, ask yourself, do you live in too much of a confirmed reality? Are you so not childlike that you think you know everything? Are you still a curious person? Is your view of God bigger than your own understanding of life? If we come to him with the posture of help me overcome my unbelief, like the man in Mark 9, we can approach him in childlike dependence humbling ourselves to the fact that he knows far more about reality than we think we do. Things have never been stranger. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. We'd love to give a little shout out to Jack Campbell and Colin Van Meter for dialoguing with us on this week's cultural artifact. Yep. Thanks guys. Next week we'll be talking about Phoebe Bridger's album Punisher. If you're interested in participating in a dialogue about this, send us an email. See our podcast notes for details and have a great week.